Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tomfoolery with T&K. It is a pleasure to be here once again. Thank you, my dear listeners, for tuning in. Um, hopefully you've noticed by now that the audio quality is significantly better. That is because I came here today to do the reshoot of my interview with my mentor, and he surprised me by getting me a microphone. So thank you so, so much. I'm, I'm very grateful. We were testing it out earlier. It's coming in perfect. So, but yeah, this is us coming in live. This is us doing our doing our thing. Uh, he's been my mentor for quite a while now. He's helped me through first robotics, and he's continued to help me through college and life, essentially. So some call us, some say he's the older version of me, or that we're brothers. Um, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think you summed that <laughs> up very well. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I'm happy to I'm happy to hear that. Um, Gabe um, does have some replies and things he wants to kind of throw out there here and there from our last interview that I think are is going to be very interesting. Yeah. But as usual, I kicked this off. Gabe, well, what? before we start, actually, I just I, I do want to throw this out there. I think in the last time we did this, we kind of talked about it at the end, and I feel like we should put that disclaimer in the beginning. You know. Oh yeah, no, totally. By, by no means are we <laughs> experts or claim to be experts in this topic whatsoever. I think this is more of a healthy way to have a conversation to yes. spark a conversation not only with us but also your listeners and everybody who ends up listening to it to give them either a different perspective or to spark that thought of like what are they saying let me go do some research what what is correct what's not correct and no most I, definitely. I think it's really just about open dialogue and we're not here to tell anybody that they're necessarily wrong or we're here just to share our thoughts of what's going on exactly in hopes that it will create a, a conversation somewhere else no and I, I completely agree with you in fact i've and if anybody's listening that has messaged me or, or so forth continue to have these conversations for the people that have messaged me directly thank you so much you you all have shown nothing but support and i think that this platform these podcasts these interviews are encouraging people to have these discussions whether it's with friends or friends of family or family in general i i've seen it i even i have part i've partaken in some of it i even had a really nice discussion with brandon's family after after everything we did and his family didn't necessarily agree with everything that he had said either and so this is just a, this has been really great so i'm happy to continue it and i'm happy to be here gabe what does the Black Lives Matter movement mean to you? How do you perceive everything going on, man? Like, yeah, man, good question. And honestly, I think to me, it's it's about fighting injustice, fighting inequality in the United States. Um, I was honestly, I was very moved on the on Black Tuesday, partly because I I felt the solidarity of everybody in my in my Instagram, for example. And I don't know, it just kind of compelled me to want to get active and involved in a movement. Um, and I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. No, definitely. Power to you. Power to you. So speaking of Blackout Tuesday, you know, there were there were some people out there, some even that we knew, that did an All Lives Matter post. Uh, Brandon, in our last podcast, tried to give some clarity on what he felt was his motivation and reasoning behind that, which he kind of redacted some. He, he realized that some of it was insensitive, and I think he realized where he kind of went wrong. Uh, but how did that make you feel seeing that, being part of the BLM movement? How did... What were, what were your thoughts when you had seen those posts? And it, he wasn't the only one, to be honest. You know, I, I think well, yeah, I think a lot of these people are a little bit misguided. And I say that because, look, in the United States, you have a right to say whatever you want to say. Um, but I, I do think you have to be careful in how you say it. And you kind of have to have a, a greater context of what's happening. 
um, I don't think they're fully understanding the, the message of what's happening. We're not saying that it doesn't happen in the white community or in the Hispanic communities. This is happening in all communities. And it's kind of what we talked about last time, saying it's a domino effect, right? Mm. We're saying, look, we have a problem with police brutality in our country that's affecting African-Americans or minorities at a higher disproportionate rate, right? Yes. Nobody's saying that it's not happening in the white community. And if it is happening in the white community, you helping us fix our problem is going to also help you fix yours, right? And so I think I saw a post of somebody not only post – they posted a picture of George Floyd and then posted a picture of a white male that was um, also involved in police brutality. And therefore he said, look, it's happening in my community too. All lives matter. Well, I don't think that argument is, is – I think that argument is very flawed because – one thing that comes to mind is, are you saying that the African community is a little stronger in terms of the terms of community that they're supporting and they're going out and protesting these violences and you're just mm. choosing to stay home and not speak out for your for your fellow um, mate, let's say, right? And so I think, I think we need to kind of kind of bring it into perspective. We're not saying that, it, that these people don't matter. We're saying that everybody matters. We're having a problem in this sector. And I think we need to acknowledge that it's... Um, it's not just the African community. It's everybody. And you need to kind of help us because it's going to help everybody. Exactly. But it's going to be a domino effect, correct, so correct. to speak. And you yeah. have to look at where it's rooted. And I think that that's very good. And even with this, this platform and everywhere else that we go, you know, don't just listen to one thing. Go out there. Educate yourself. Do your research. You know, uh, we were talking about it, and it's, it's somewhere in the middle. You know, don't just look at one thing or fixate on one thing and be like, oh, this is what I believe. Be you, you know, create your own mental state and mindset, so to speak. So, you know, we have the media. We have all these things going on. We've seen the police being brutal. We've seen the police being good. Talks are happening. Rides are happening. People are talking about defunding the police. What are your thoughts on that before I get to mine? I think, you know, I think uh, it makes sense, right? What I think that's the other thing is we're, we're... the message is getting out there, and I think it's being misconstrued about what it means to be to defund the police, right? And I think we can kind of go back a little bit here, but in terms of the media is playing its role into trying to dictate what that means, right? Okay. And you're, we have to be very careful because the minute you heard defund the police, it became of, oh, no more police officers in the street. But that's not what it means. And that's not what it means. You know yeah. what I mean? We're trying to – it's – reinvest into what policing should be like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big part of the problem is, and as you've seen and continue to read articles, it's the policing budget is so big and yet we have, they're not trained to do other jobs such as be psychologists and sociologists and all this other stuff. And so it's kind of, it's kind of hard for them to, um, to do all of that. To do all of that and be so many different, put on so many different hats and, and play so many different roles. Exactly. Instead of policing and following, trying to make people follow the laws for what they are. Um, so w- with that said, I, I think, which there's another video that I want to play because Trump had recently uh, gave, given a speech slash order about this whole thing and I haven't had proper time to look, delve into it. I'm just going to go off of what he said, which I think was a good thing at its base. But no, it... I was talking to uh, a fellow friend of mine who has recently been inducted to be a cop. They were going through training. He gave me some of his thoughts, and we, we had a conversation about it. You know, we had disagreed, but me and my friend had had give it, had were able to give him a broader perspective, and he, he came to an understanding about systemic racism and all this other stuff. 
And so I asked him, I was like, do you think that sometimes your job can, it, it's putting too much on you? I mean, you don't feel like this is a lot or that maybe defunding the police could be a good thing to start of the third? And he was like, no, because at the end of the day, whenever you get done through training, if you don't think you can handle all this stuff, then plain and simple, you should not be a cop. Right. You should get out while you can. And so sometimes in my head I'm thinking, you know, I'm wondering if some of these people that go in, maybe they just don't acknowledge that. You know, maybe it is too much for them, or which is again where we get into you know better background checks, better screening, this, that, and the third, and I think that's very important. And so I'm going to go ahead and and again you you or my listeners and you know my my political views so far and how I feel against our current president, but with well, what was recently said, I think can be agreed that you know he is trying to do something here. Uh, how it's going to turn out, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go ahead and play it real quick. Um. Just because I thought, I thought it was very interesting. And this way, all of you can also go out and do your research on what was recently said. I'm also playing this so it's known that this recently happened. Choke calls will be banned. Additionally, we're looking at new advanced and powerful, less lethal weapons to help prevent deadly interactions. Departments will also need a share of information about credible abuses so that officers with significant issues do not simply move from one police department to the next. My order will direct federal funding to support officers in dealing with homeless individuals and those who have mental illness and substance abuse problems. President Obama and Vice President Biden never even tried to fix it. And at that point, I'm going to stop playing the video because that's where I, I significantly disagree. But... There is some there is some type of progress being made, you know. And I was reading in my other po- uh, podcast or not other podcast, but other segment about all of these these domino effect events and things that that were happening. And this is yet another milestone. Now, whether this signing will actually make a change or, or whatever, only time will tell. But at least we are gaining ground and things are are happening. So I I was happy to see that. But, you know, again, for all of you out there, look into this, whatever order it is, look into the specifics, see how it's going. Um, with defunding the police and, and this order and everything else, do you think, do you personally think that we'll see a lower crime rate or a lower case of, of incidences where unnecessary deaths or brutality occur? I think depending how it's handled. And I, and I, I do think it's going to take some time. I don't think it's going to be an overnight thing. Or, Obviously. You know, oh, all of a sudden everything stops and, it, and it's all good and dandy. But I think over time, and we we set good examples of what good policing needs to look like. Um, we can, I think, we will be able to see a reduction. I think the the main thing is that policing is not. I don't, especially in the minority community. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's more. Um, I don't even know what I want to say. No, it's all good. You know, take your. Yeah, you know, I I think I think there will be. I I don't think it's going to be overnight. I think it's going to take a couple years to get to a place where we've reestablished what we think the police is going to look like. Um, But the thing is, is that by taking money from the police budgets and putting them into the communities where they need help, I think you should be able to see a reduction in crime because now they're getting the support that they weren't getting before. I think in the minority communities, 
you see policing as a negative effect and not a positive one as you would in, in, a, in a better neighborhood, let's say. And I think, so that's, I think that's one of the bigger problems I think I see is, you know, when you go into a minority community, they don't talk to the police. They see the police as an enemy. And that's not something that you want. You want to be able to have good trust between both of them because the police should be working for the community, not working for government, the, officials. The government officials or the prison system or whatever yeah. you want to talk about. But it's really about the people in that community. And if, if they feel like they've been taken advantage of by the system, then this is kind of where we're getting to, whereas like they're speaking up. You know, and I think later on you would see over time they've been suppressed, oppressed, and all this other stuff, but they found ways to get their message out there by protesting, by, you know, the civil rights movement was basically all peaceful protesting in the name of injustice for their communities. Right? Wow, I, I think that was really well said. I have to congratulate you. Um, so we've, we've touched on that and we'll probably loop back around to her or do whatever. But, and, and I, this issue has come up across my segments and especially how, how Brandon was kind of have tackling it. Systemic racism, I personally believe, is a thing. So, in your own words, if you, if you could, well, first of all, let's start with this. Do you also believe in systemic racism? I do. Maybe okay. not in the way that the media wants to portray it, maybe. How do you think the media is portraying it? I think people want to focus a lot on maybe laws too much and saying, well, look, we don't have any laws that are racist, so therefore there can't be any. Does that make sense? No, it does. It's very interesting because that's also a, a point Brandon had brought up. Right. So, yeah, there, there may not be any that are, I guess, you know, inherently racist, but don't you don't think there are any, I guess, precedents, whether uh, uh, intentional or not, or... You know, social behaviors, I guess from Krolos could even be an example. Right, 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 right. But I, I think that there are still certain mantras that over over the course of history have, have made uh, certain processes racist or, or even led into certain uh, biased mindsets. Not to say that we're, we're all not biased in some way, shape, or form, but I mean, there's still precognitive stereotypes that, that fill into that. I mean, you look at schools, you look at, at the case files, you look at all this other stuff. I mean, I, I feel like how could it not be? Not, not to point fingers and say that, oh, you know, minorities are, are where they're at, or, you know, I didn't get to where I'm at because the, the system is racist. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that the, the system is flawed in a way that more than likely could have been due to a racist past. So, you know, I think that... Right, and so I think I agree with you in the terms when you say it's a flawed system. I think that's a, a perfect way of describing it. I think we kind of need to look a little bit in our past to understand kind of how we got here. And I think by a lot of the people, like I said again, want to focus so much on, look, we don't have racist laws, therefore there, this can't be happening. But I think as we look back, it's not about the laws necessarily, but it's about how the system is set up that it doesn't help the minority community. And so okay. let's let's go on this big history lesson, right? And it all starts off with the same comment always. How do you build wealth in this country? Okay. You build wealth in this country by owning a home and getting an education. That's the first step. That's the first step to basically fair point. Gaining wealth in this country. Well, after 18 in 18 in 18 in 1865 
Okay. General, uh, Major General Sherman, issue a pro- is, is, Wow, I can't speak. <laughs> you all got it. Right you got now. it. We need to cut that out. <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. This is part no, of. We need to cut that out. No, we're, we're going. I want to start over though. No, yeah. continue. No, 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 no. Nope, no, you're continuing. Horrible. This is live. This is why I need to fucking. <laughs> This is, what, this is part of what makes my podcast no, so no, casual no, no. and interactive. Um, field order number 15. No, we're going to start over. So Which? anyways, so let's go back to 1865. Major General Sherman goes down to the South and asks ex-slaves at this point, what do you need to be successful in this country? And they said, we need land. So field order number 15 comes into play, which gave ex-slaves basically 40 acres of land after the war was over, okay. President Johnson's administration was very, I don't, want to, I don't know if it was biased to the South a little bit, and so he basically gave the land back to the Southerners. All of a sudden, you move into this era of sharecropping, right? Well, sharecropping had its problems because it basically meant that you were on the land, the same land that you had been this whole time, potentially, but you had no capital to start your, your own little investment of this farm of yours. So you had no capital, and so you had no equipment, no livestock, no places to live, and you had to buy your materials on credit from the landowners. So over time, this meant that uh, any remaining debt that was rolled over was rolled over into next year's debt. So over time, you still were not building wealth, and you were still kind of in debt to these landowners, right? all of a sudden, you move into Jim Crow laws, and that goes all the way up to basically the Civil Rights Movement to '65. Wait, right? so just, just to make sure I'm following correctly, they they couldn't even they couldn't leave or, or start anew until those debts were paid. Correct. Okay. So you were trapped on this land essentially, right? So all of a sudden, you got rid of slavery, but you couldn't build wealth because you didn't have anything, and then you get into the Jim Crow laws, which are again are just suppressing you, you know, and so. One of the videos that everybody's been watching about systemic racism talks about redlining, right? Mm-hmm. Where redlining was made illegal in, in 1968, right? So again, okay. so the whole argument of holding on to laws that are not racist, we don't have those, you know, it's kind of true. They were getting rid of these laws as throughout the civil rights movement and beyond. And then in 1977, you see the Community Reinvestment Act that came out, which again allowed... Um, it was illegal to seg- not segregate. It was illegal to um, prohibit African Americans to move in certain neighborhoods or to not be able to not, sure. not neighborhoods, should I say, or I should say more of um, not be able to qualify for certain type of mortgages and that kind of stuff because they were being basically outcasted from different neighborhoods just because you were African American. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you get into the 80s, and so this is where you start seeing. It's not so much, it is a law, but it's more of just how the policies weren't helping the communities. And you can, you would question, well, are they being racist, right? So the crack cocaine epidemic devastated the African communities and the minority communities. Of course. Um, that's a big blow. In 86, you have the Anti-Drug Abuse Act. So what, I mean, you can keep going if you want to, but like how, how is that a big blow? What, were there differences in like charges? Right, or? right. So let me, I'll get into that. So, and that was a big part of what we talk about mandatory sentences in 86 was due. So you have the, the Congress and the presidency was basically, the presidents were trying to fix these problems, right? Okay. And so 
they did what was mandatory mandatory sentences in 86. What does that mean? It meant that if you were found with a certain type of drug and a certain amount of that drug, you were going to get X amount of years in prison. Gotcha. So the judges had no ability to do a per case basis. Didn't look at what you had done in the past to get to this point. Like there was no, it was no, mm. it was no one-on-one. It was, this is the law, this is what's going to happen. But that's not really like a fair way to do things. But here's where it gets kind of interesting. So five grams of crack cocaine versus 500 grams of powdered cocaine, do you think they had the same amount of penalty? I, I would I would like to assume so. What what was right. the main difference between crack cocaine and powder cocaine? Well, just that one's cooked and the other one isn't, right? But where do you find crack cocaine versus just powder cocaine? I'm assuming predominantly right? white, so, white communities. <laughs> correct. So you would find normally crack cocaine because it was cooked and cheaper and cut. Uh-huh. You would find it in the more minority neighborhoods, and you would find powder cocaine in the more what we would say white neighborhoods, right? Well, the interesting part is that the mandatory sentence for five grams of crack versus 500 grams of powder cocaine was a minimum of five years. Okay. That's ridiculous. The next thing goes, 50 grams of crack and or 5,000 grams of powder cocaine was a minimum of 10 years. What? So, 50 grams of powder cocaine, in, uh, imported results was no mandatory, sorry, no mandatory sentences. So, how is that... You start questioning that. How is this fair? How does this it's make any fair. sense at all? And so you hear these arguments of, well, the, the family is a broken home or, you know, black on black crime is worse. But these are the things that made those communities get in, in the position that they are today. Right. So it's just because it stopped back then doesn't mean that it's not. It's not still here. It's not it still here in a sense, just because of the parents went to jail because they had five grams of of crack cocaine, but then the system, when they get out, doesn't help them or support them. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about defund the police. I think it's really focusing on what are the issues and how can we help these people succeed once they get out of prison. And by helping them, you're also, in a sense, putting a preventative measure on crime, you you would say. Right. Yeah, so that that's definitely crazy though when you look at that. And even when you look at the you know, case by case, you know, you have a white male and an African American male or, or or some other minority and they're charged with the same thing or have the same amount of points on the record, right. the sentences are almost doubled. You know, one one can be six months, one can be for ten to twenty five years. And just right. it, it blows my mind sometimes. I just I, And you still see that today, right? I mean you yeah. can look at what was the name of that guy, Brock Turner. Something like that. He kind of he rapes somebody and he gets off with like, what was it? Six six months. <laughs> it's crazy. And then you have the same thing in a different case in a different city and all of a sudden the dude's getting 25 years. It makes no sense. And so these are the things that we're talking about. In my opinion, when we say defund the police, it's not only giving the police the right tools, but it's also looking at having the right how resources. Do, how do we get the right resources? How do we get here and acknowledge that it happened. And that's the other thing, the big thing. I think there's a lot of people that say, well, it doesn't happen. It's not happening to me. So therefore it must not be happening. Well, you can't think... disassociate yourself from that. Right. I mean, I guess you, and this is a silly way to put it, but I mean, you know, if a tree falls over and you don't hear a noise, did it really fall over? Right. Right. Which again, that's a great point in terms of when you bring the George Floyd case, because 
Had there been no video of this, do you really think it would have gotten to where we're at? No, none of this would have happened. I don't think you. I don't think it would have either. I really think that it would have just been, you know, shrugged on, you know, brushed under the rug essentially. And another thing is, uh, Will Smith actually ended up making this post, and Cameron had mentioned it, and it also hit home because that's the point I wanted to touch on. And he said, you know, racism never really died off or stopped. It's just now we're able to capture these these moments of police brutality and these moments of racism, right, which right. is like a brick because right. we're seeing how much we see now, but imagine how much we didn't see before. Right. And I, I do want to touch on this later, and I'm glad we're, we're bringing this up too because racism exists. Yes, it definitely exists. Uh, for me, I think I believe it's more prevalent than others are led to believe, and I've even had some cases that I can look back on where people were probably racist to me or racist to other people. It's a shame. I talk to my teachers and professors, and they tell me about how it impacts them in their research, which blew my mind because I, I didn't think, especially when you're in engineering or scientific field, you know, you would think that wouldn't matter as much, but it does. Right. And anyway, uh, someone had brought up to my attention, you know, where was, in the, in the case of George Floyd, what was racist about it? I couldn't tell you. You know, I've, I definitely believe it was more of a, of a police brutality issue than it was a racism right. issue, but that doesn't mean that you can disassociate that instance from other instances like right. Breonna Taylor or the Trayvon Martin case where there were instances of racism. So right. it, it happens. Especially, I mean, in Trayvon Martin, you know, I, it's one of those things that he was walking down the street, you had what I would call vigilante pretending to be a cop, even though he called 911 and they're telling him, don't follow him like we'll go and check it out for ourselves and he provoked the, al the altercation mm -hmm. like that dude that does not help like at all um now some people would be like well i mean that wasn't inherently racist well you know to me that kind of uh, seems like something a, a racist race it's a little bit because you're profiling you literally exactly. profiled this young kid for being black and then all of a sudden you make the incident happen because that's what he did because he provoked him essentially, mm -hmm. and then you shoot him, and then you you get away. That's 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 why we're at where we're at. Because I just think it's um, not every case is going to be racist, but the there is just like uh, you know. No, there's a root. There's a yeah. root where things come from. I think that's an, un an undeniable fact. Yeah. But uh, going going forward with what we were saying, uh, if you could continue that that pathway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we get into the 90s, and all of a sudden, Rodney King on live television is getting beat up by four white cops. Um, <laughs> I tried. I tried. I tried. He really I tried. Did. All right. um, you guys can't see, but... Uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. We're stopping this right now. <clears throat> Mr... You won't have to do any more retakes. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing one more retake, apparently. No, I'm, we're going to keep going, and then we'll see if I edit it out. For those of you that can't tell, I was just given um, weird looks at... <laughs> He's trying to make me laugh. Yeah, pretty much. I couldn't help it. He, he, was, he was eyeing me, because like, I gave him like a weird look, but I was just being really focused, so my eyes were kind of wide, and then it just kind of spiraled from there. Anyway, continue with whatever you were saying. Um... Rodney King ended up being beat up by these four white cops, and you were talking about how I was sending the wrong message. Right. And so um, from there, you were talking about how you know people in the media begin to get fed up, and I think that also relates how it is now because you know certain cops just either bounce from department to department, they don't get a crime charge, not to say all police should, or furthermore, they just get suspended. And a suspended being or being suspended 
like you said, is just kind of putting a Band-Aid on a permanent problem. Right. Like, yeah, let me just put a Band-Aid on a fucking stab wound. Like, you're going to bleed out. But, anyway. it's, but it's not even that. It's not only that. I think it's also the, the, the fact that politicians are trying to not really fix the problem of why it's ha- what things are happening the way they're happening. And instead, they're just throwing more police to the problem. Well, politicians try to save face. You know what so. I mean? And so I, I feel like kind of leading to now, and that's why I want to have this discussion, is because I think we need to look at the past to understand how we got here so we can able really be able to try to really fix the problem instead of just throwing more money to it or throwing more police to or it. Pointing or pointing fingers or, and this and that. Exactly. We need to really understand our history before we can really move forward, if that makes any no, sense. No, it does make right? sense. I think I think the quote is said too too much or that is said enough that history repeats itself. Right. But then the other people say, you know, learn from history. Well, are we really learning from history given what's going on? Right. And so maybe maybe this is finally our, our final push to really go into the root of everything and do reform and fix it. Right. So, um, from here, unless you have anything else to say, I think we could push or continue to move forward on the topic of all of the flags and statues kind of getting torn down or desecrated or however you want to put it right so and there interestingly enough there's actually a video you showed me which i I, i'm very adamant on playing we will we will we and actually i can try to cue it up here as we continue perfect uh because i will we can go right into playing that video unless you want to say anything beforehand um well, I guess we can give them context of what's happening, right? Sure, so go ahead. the go context, ahead context is Confederate flags, Confederate statues are all kind of coming into view with everything that's been going on, and I think they're being finally put away, right? Like mm-hmm. they're they're bringing into the light, saying, "Hey, look, this uh, this might be a little racist." And so, um, one of the big major things that I think happened last week was that Bubba Wallace from NASCAR kind of came out and saying that he doesn't want this flag. At the races anymore, and so I think that's going to be uh, an interesting development to see how they um, kind of what the NASCAR does. Which NASCAR already said that they weren't going to um, allow it at the races anymore. So I'm curious how the fan base is going to react. I think I've seen some positive and some negative. Very um, so, interesting. Yeah, so we'll see when the races start up to see if like people are going to be like kind of against it and still bring it out and see so i think that'll be interesting okay good for um you. but i think one of the things the videos will bring up and, and kind of been my point of view with it it has always been why are we celebrating traitors um and so i think it just puts a little bit into perspective yeah i just want to give some perspective of what's happening i'm gonna try my so. best not to laugh because that video is just... well i'm not gonna play all of the video i think we're gonna play the video from uh from i mean it's a... only like what four minutes well it wasn't because of that just to try to avoid some of the so this guy, his name is Andrew Schultz, and he's actually a comedian, so that's why I don't want the, the jokes to necessarily get out of hand. Oh, they, um, they will. I, I, no, I'm, I'm very adamant. I will put it in myself. Hold so on, let me see. But while, while we get this queued up here. Oh, here we go. I think we're good. Confederate flags and statues need to be taken down, and it's not because they're racist. This week, in things that should have happened in 1865, NASCAR officially banned the Confederate flag from all races, specifically the white one. Bubba Wallace, NASCAR's only black driver and the first one to get pulled over during a race, said the flag doesn't belong here. He's right. It belongs on Candace Owens' lace front. Some people didn't take well to this news. The worst NASCAR driver of all time, Ray Cicerelli, also known as the David Duke of Hazard, officially retired, or shall we say surrendered, after the flag ban. In his statement, which looks like it was typed by Michael J. Fox, he complained that removing the flag catered to one group. Yeah, Americans. 
And if you don't like that, Ray, you can go back to your country. Oh, that's right. You don't have one anymore because we scorpions snatched your slave-loving asses back 150 years ago. Nothing about Ray's behavior surprises me. I get why he's bald to avoid the hat hair. And I get why he likes Confederates because they both love losing. I mean, they like losing so much, they do reenactments of the losing. But here's the question. Why the fuck is the Confederate flag still around at all? The Confederacy is obviously hateful. The guy who made the flag even said so himself. But the hate isn't the reason it should come down. All the Confederate statues should come down because they're traitors. They tried to divide and conquer our country. Fuck them. Why are we honoring treason? These guys lost the war. Nathan Bedford Forrest, Confederate general and first Grand Wizard of the KKK, probably a coincidence, has stuff named after him everywhere. Forest high schools, forest streets, forest statues. That's why black people don't go camping. Forests haven't been welcoming to them. I mean, why do we have military bases named after these guys? Like, if your girl cheated on you and got the guy's name tattooed on her back, you'd be like, take that shit off, you treasonous slut. Fort Hood? That's too far, man. I always thought y'all were the ones who were like, we're too easy on kids, no more participation trophies. What the fuck do you think these statues are? They're not for winning, especially this statue of Forrest. It looks like the Burger King. But this is where people get confused. Because these well-intentioned kids are like, we're taking down these hateful and racist statues. We should take down all hateful and racist statues. And I understand the sentiment. But we're not removing the statues because they're hateful and racist. Because if that was the case... We'd have to remove, like, every statue in America. I go so far to say that most monuments in the world honor someone who probably had some hateful tendencies. The pyramids were built to honor pharaohs that were slave drivers. Gandhi called African savages. Einstein said the Chinese were filthy. JFK and MLK were cracking cheeks while their wives watched the kids. FDR locked up a bunch of Japanese people. Our founding fathers owned slaves and knew it was wrong. And your grandparents were probably racist. Are you going to take down their tombstones? No, you're not. But now people are getting crazy. They defaced a statue of a guy who tried to abolish slavery. And a Christopher Columbus statue was beheaded because it offended Native Americans. You know what else is offensive to Native Americans? America. Yeah. I don't think they're that happy when they see you driving on stolen land in your Jeep Cherokee. If we take down all the Columbus statues, we should be consistent and remove the District of Columbia. We should remove Columbus, Ohio, too. Matter of fact, we should do that anyway. It's a shithole. we got to understand why the statues were built in the first place. The Confederate statues are celebrating crimes against America. They're honoring traitors who attempted to split the nation to protect their own ship of slaves, killing a million Americans in the process. The other people I mentioned are in no way perfect. They're incredibly flawed, but their statues were not erected to celebrate their flaws, but rather to honor their contributions to society. Contributions we still admire to this day. That's why we gotta keep that monument of George Washington's peace. It's easy to judge people in the past by our current moral standard, but if the standard is too high, no statue will ever exist. We're all hypocrites across the board. We want to take down the statues of people for their fucked up behavior, but yet we continue to support Nike and Apple. We all know sweatshops and slavery are wrong, but yet we're still wearing Jordans and maybe even watching this video on an iPhone made with cobalt mined by slaves. We like to condemn the evil system, but simultaneously reap the benefits. Just like the founding fathers, we're no better. Your iPhone should cost $10,000, but it doesn't because of exploitation. People are dying so you can watch porn on the toilet. We judge the people of the past, and the people in the future will judge us. Time turns everyone into a bigot, and you know what? That's good. That means society is getting better. Hopefully your grandkids look back on you and think, wow, 
My pappy allowed migrant workers to toil in the fields for little to no money and use a cell phone with slave cobalt and thought a gay tiger keeper drug lord was worth binge watching? What the fuck was wrong with him? So what do we do? We could consider the reasons the statues were erected in the first place and recognize that the statues don't embody every action these people have ever done, but rather are symbolic of the positive contributions they made. We could stop teaching that historical figures are gods and recognize that these people were incredibly flawed and we could judge them within the morality of their time. We could offer the same empathy to the people of the past as we can only hope the people of the future will offer us. Or we can see ancient relics that have done little to help black people and maybe even cause brutality in the cities they govern and cover them with a kente cloth. Racism solved. Thanks, guys. Peace. So... <clears throat> So yeah, that that was a video by uh, the Andrew Schultz, which Schultz, <laughs> that's the third time I've seen it. I, I still that, that's a beautiful. He's, he's video. a comedian, so he definitely had jokes. But I think there's a lot in what he said that had so much meaning. Oh, without a uh, doubt, because I, th I do think we're moving into this era where like, where is the line of like tearing things down, right? And I, and I think he sets that up very well in his argument of, look, the Confederacy, we're cele we're celebrating traitors. We can't, after that, take everything else down just because of, you know, like, I mean, like, George Washington owned slaves. Are we going to take that down, too? And I, and I think that makes it makes a good argument for we're celebrating people that actually contributed, contributed to society. These people that want to support the Confederacy just try to divide and, and, right. and keep And so I, I, like, I think he does. Honestly, I feel like I shouldn't even be talking about it anymore because I feel like his points were just... Yeah, like, his points were made. He just... But I mean, it's replying. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's Mike. Mike, you know. Um, I think there. I think there comes a point in time. Unless you want to say something real quick, and then I'll. Oh no, no, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I was going to say though, and, and it, I, I think this kind of ties in a little bit. I just want to touch on this topic as people are a little upset with some of the violent things that are coming down, or you know, they're they're pointing this out, this that, and the third, and people. But has there ever really been a quote unquote right time to protest? You know. I don't think so. I think that some of the things that have happened in the past, whether it was like the Greensboro sit-ins or the civil rights movement, I don't think there's ever going to be a right time other than right now. Now is a time, it's a, it's a type of now time mentality to protest. And sometimes people are, or some of the people that I know have been talking about how, you know, don't condone the violence, don't do this, don't do that. Peaceful protesting doesn't always get the job done. I don't think anything could be a hundred percent peaceful. If that makes sense, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there. I feel like it's a yin and yang type of thing, like a necessary evil. Um, and you know, like I said before, Martin Luther King would not have gotten as far as he got without Malcolm X, and vice versa. So, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that before I keep going. Or, well, it's funny because when we go back to the protest a little bit, you know, we're protesting police brutality, injustice, and all this stuff, but then. Now that the that we have like video cameras on the protesters, it's interesting how the cops are like basically doing exactly what we're we're saying that they're doing, and they were <laughs> catching them doing it in like like live acts. So it's kind of like a weird like <laughs> thing that's happening, and I think that's why we've you know like in your other podcast we've seen a momentum of actual reform and like going in this direction to make things happen because I think people just from the police and how they handled it. I don't think they handle it correctly, right? You have, it was peaceful at one point, and then there's a lot of videos that show that the police were starting to instigate what led to these riots or yeah. something like that. And so, I, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting place to be.
No, most definitely. So, but I mean, you know, yeah, like, of all that said, and we've talked about the meeting and everything else, I don't know what other topics you want to touch on, but most importantly, everything that you've heard in my previous segments and everything that I've done now, what do you, is there anything that you would do differently? Like, if you, if you had some type of authoritative power, or you could help guide people in a certain direction, what would, what would be something that you would do differently, do you think? If anything at all. Well, the first thing is I want people to realize that there's so much information out there and a lot of it is bias. A lot of it is misinformation. And I think one of the first things they need to do and kind of understand is that we need to go to three places to look for information. That way you know that you're not getting like a bias information or you're hearing what you want to hear. You're getting different opinions, right? Three different sources. That's what I always say. And so I do believe the answer is in the middle. Um, and so as we try to um, look for where we should be heading and kind of going in the next direction, I, I, I think we need to pay attention to where we're getting our information from. I, I think the, the media has changed dramatically over the years. And right now I feel like we're in this place where the media is really just trying to get an um, emotional response from you because they know that that's going to increase viewership. And so they're going to say whatever it takes to just make, to trigger you so that you, you tune in, you know, you're going to, Oh, wait a minute. I don't agree with that. Or yeah, I agree with that. But it's just, it's, it's just honing in on that. And so I believe that's what Fox news does. I believe that's what CNN does. And you got these two extremes, you know, they don't really talk about the news anymore. All they do is they have six people and they're discussing opinions and then trying to just get you to get you to ignite that little spark to get you angry to, to, to motivate you to and it's not really news anymore right and so we also have to be careful from the other side because then there's medias out there that do do in my opinion factual information but then you look at the opinion pages and they tend to be a little bit too biased right they're not looking at the bigger picture i think when we look at these facts it's important to not only look at the facts but you have to look at the bigger picture, right? You can't just look at one set of data and assume, therefore, that is what it is. You have to look at a whole bunch of data and really make it make sense into what's really happening. Um, yeah. No, and thank you. Thank you for that. I, I think that was very well said again. Um, honestly, I don't have too much else I want to reply to other than some closing remarks. Right. So as we close this off, if anyone wants to keep listening, I'm pretty much just going to ask you about some things from... Our, my previous segment on the podcast with Brandon okay, and anything you want to reply with there. So this way this, the rest of this is more, more casual and people can choose to listen or not or do whatever. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much a wrap. I think we, we've talked about a lot of stuff. I think that I've been covering a diverse set of topics. Some have been reoccurring, but I do that. So each segment has a different articulation and a different perspective, hopefully. And so, if you're still listening, thank you for joining us. If it's morning, good morning. Thank you for, for sharing us during your car ride or while you're sipping on your cup of coffee. This afternoon, take care. I hope your day continue, continues to go well. And if it's nighttime, good night. Dear listeners, thank you for tuning in and, and sharing this moment with us before heading off to finish off the night. So, yeah. Anything you'd like, like to say before we kind of close off? Yeah. Uh, well, Thomas, first, thank you for having me. Um, but kind of a, a closing remark, I guess, more than anything, uh, you know, and I kind of going back to the last question a little bit, just to kind of keep going. I don't want this 
I don't want this to ever end, so that's why I'm going to just keep going. Cool. Um, I do think that in order for us to make a difference, it's also obviously not making paying attention to the information, but I think the only major thing right now that we need to focus on and doing is go out and vote. And so oh my gosh, yes. I think register to vote, minute you turn 18, go vote, vote locally, vote nationally, do what you need to do to get your voice out there. Whether you think it works or not, trust me, it all starts with voting. This is what our soldiers fight for, for our ability to, to be able to vote. And... Um, Definitely um, get out there. No, I would agree. And that's something I brought up in, in my podcast with Brandon with Barack Obama's service announcement. I don't think it could have been uh, said any, any other way. Two things I almost forgot to close off with, though, before we continue on our little conversation. This is the closing that never ends. Yes, the closing that never ends. But uh, it's Juneteenth. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's Juneteenth. Uh, what is that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a little bit of a celebration date um, for the Emancipa- Emancipation <laughs> Proclamation. Uh, issued by President Abraham Lincoln. Now, he did issue this on September 22nd, 1862, and established all of this. However, um, what it's also mainly for is that on June 19th, 1865, almost two and a half years after President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, Union General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, with federal orders that proclaimed the emancipation of the last remaining enslaved people in Texas. And it didn't happen overnight for everyone's celebration to break out among the newly freed black people. Um, Juneteenth was born. A few months later, in December uh, 1865, slavery in America was formally abolished in the 13th Amendment. There's a lot of, lot of stuff here for everything. Because the Emancipation Proclamation didn't instantaneously free all slaves. It only applied to places under Confederate control, not slave-holding border states or rebel areas, etc., etc. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. And then there, there's a nice little thing that I had seen, and this might be a little bit more bold of, of me to say, but I feel like I should say it nonetheless. And it was something I had seen that I had read, and the Black Lives Matter hype is, or it seems to be dying down, but this is where true intentions are put to the test. Now is the time to understand that supporting the cause isn't about a single period of attending protests and sharing content. It's about making the stance against color-based discrimination a part of your being, a part of your day-to-day, where you are conscious of your own actions and words, where you are willing to respectfully point out that a friend, family member, co-worker, etc. is making a racist remark. We are not just remaining silent and quote-unquote letting it be. Black people will continue to plead for equality until they feel like they have attained it. It's up to the non-black communities to implement that change because in the end, we are the problem. Not them. We have allowed it to reach this point. You are somebody's ancestor. You have the power to cut racism out of future generations in your family's culture. So I believe this attains to everybody, both minorities and non-minorities alike, whatever race, whatever color of your skin, whoever you are, it's up to us as a human, as human beings to continue to emphasize this and to eradicate racism as a whole one day. So, yeah. That's me. 